I'm Bob Dickey, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Leap Podcast. My guest today is my close friend, Kelly Fletcher. Kelly is the founder and CEO of Fletcher PR, an award-winning media and public relations agency headquartered in Knoxville, Tennessee. Kelly and her world-class staff specialize in marketing, media relations, and crisis communications. Kelly's philanthropic efforts have included serving as a board member for the Knoxville Opera, Project Grad of Knoxville, and the Second Harvest Food Bank. She is also the host of the insightful Misinterpreted Podcast, The Public Relations Demystified. She is a grad of Meredith College with a degree in communications. And fun fact, Kelly was Miss North Carolina and participated in the Miss USA pageant. I'm honored to be able to call Kelly a friend, and I've worked with her on multiple projects and have always been impressed with her leadership, her insight, and drive for excellence. I love the way that she lives life, the energy she brings to each engagement, and her outlook and perspective on the world. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, so let's jump right in. Well, Kelly, welcome back to the pod. It's been a while since uh, you've been on. I think you were on in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And my goodness, so much has changed since then. And uh, I can't wait to hear a little bit the the update on your business. And you've got a big move down to Florida and you've been traveling to London. And so uh, but welcome back. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Wow. I can't believe it was 2019. Thank you for having me back at I guess that I think it was near the holidays in 2019, right before um, the world almost came to an end. It felt like. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's, it's been a while. Well, speaking of the world coming to an end, I mean, t- tell me uh, what's going on in your industry. It seems like every industry is going through change, pivots. It's been a, a topsy turvy world that we've been living through, but. Fletcher PR. I mean, and you do business not only in the Southeast here, in the United States, but in New York and all across the country. And you've got business in Europe now. And so, how are things changing uh, in your industry? And I guess one of the, the other follow-on question would be: Well, what what are you doing personally to change your business to meet kind of some of these things that are happening in the world around us? Oh, I love those two three-part questions. Well, first of all, um, what's happening in our industry? Hyper segmentation. So if whereas so we changed our name from Fletcher PR to Fletcher Marketing PR about 10 years ago. Now I'm thinking about changing it to Fletcher Strategic Communications because it's too broad of a scope. But we were trying to be all things to all businesses. If you need a website, if you need a digital strategy and really what our core is, what we're really good at that we can replicate over and over is media relations and crisis communications and using strategic communication to solve business problems. So we're in the middle of a brand refresh and it will reflect all of that. What else is going on in our, that's a big thing that's going on in our industry is I'm seeing um, marketing and PR firms really get hyper-specialized. So um, we're trying to get back to our roots. I mean, we still have... uh, we we still are known for our ability and our expertise in connecting brands to female consumers, but that's all about communication at its mm-hmm. core anyway. Um, I think that we're going to see some layoffs in our industry next year as we head into the recession that we're already in, but nobody wants to call it a recession, recession. And I'm not too worried about that because the last time, we went through we went through the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. I had been in business for about a year and a half, and there was a moment where clients were dropping like flies. But then what happened is they realized that they had cut too many internal staff, and they needed to outsource and they needed help. So it really our business grew during the Great Recession. So. We're looking at other things that we can do to to add multiple revenue streams. I think that agent a lot of agencies are doing that. Another trend that I'm seeing in our industry is there are a lot of agencies for sale. Really? And I don't know what that is all about because I've been on these lists for years and I've never seen so many agencies for sale. Um, maybe 
agency owners just really had a rough time during COVID, not just financially, but mentally and emotionally. And maybe a lot of them were, you know, are ready to call it quits, but their pricing, what they're asking for their businesses certainly is not reflective of the times. So I don't know how many of them are actually selling for anywhere near what they're asking, which is three to four X EBITDA. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a lot for a professional services business. Well, just so much here I'd like to unpack. I mean, the the fact that you have a a deep domain uh, expertise in specifically helping companies market to a female consumer. I'd like to, you know, double click on that a little bit and see, you know, are is that still a a big focus for brands and companies? Is is that changing? And I, I find very interesting the fact that you are really get narrowing your focus into an area of extreme expertise in uh, strategic and crisis communications. And I'm wondering what you're seeing uh, in the world right now that lends you to be pivoting aggressively into that spot? Do you feel that there's a lot of companies that uh, are in need? Obviously, you're, you're pivoting there, so there's a need. You know, Why is that? Why is uh, strategic and crisis communications uh, so important right now? I know that's a double question there for you, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back to 15 years ago when I started the company, and I had quite a bit of experience in uh, research and understanding female consumer behavior because because I came from a home shopping background where our customers were 98% women. And we conducted a lot of research. We did focus groups. We traveled around the country and did in-home visits. So I felt like when I launched that there was still a huge gap in understanding of, for brands about how important it was to not ignore women or to market to only families because about 50% of us in this country aren't married um, or to speak to all of us in the same way when we're vastly different based on a lot of different criteria. We would go into meetings and we usually would meet with uh, C-level or VP-level staff and they would be really interested in that and I'd be like how can you be this huge brand um one was Roland uh the musical instrument company mm-hmm. that's uh they're headquartered in LA in the US and I actually went into Roland with another client who had a product that they wanted to sell to Roland and the CEO of North America reaches across the table gets my card and starts asking me what all this marketing to women stuff is about. So, and I felt like I was hijacking the meeting from my client, but the CEO had no interest in what they were trying to sell them. And so it ended up landing us a big piece of business because Roland, he he recognized in that moment that women are the ones who decide if their kids are going to take piano lessons or guitar lessons or any kind of music lessons. And the the rate of kids who are taking music lessons now of any kind has vastly declined. And so they were going into Best Buys and creating these music studios and Best Buys. And they wanted to really educate moms in particular about the benefits of music education and, uh, you know, math and spatial reasoning skills and confidence and skills that go far beyond just whether you can play the piano or not. Discipline. Lots of lots of things. Right. And as a you know, a former professional singer, I really was passionate about that. So we ended up launching this. I'm really going down a rabbit hole here. No, this is perfect. I love stories like this. <laughs> we ended up launching this uh campaign. We partnered with Girl Scouts USA and we did Girls Rock and we did a six city tour and Roland does everything first class. So we would roll in with uh uh 18 wheeler bus with 50 drum kits, 50 keyboard stations, a rock and roll and girls band. Belinda Carlisle gave us the rights to use. Um, we got the beat and that resonated with the moms and the, the girls who had never heard it before. And we put on these half day um, musical music kind of experiences, if you will. 
We did the younger girls in the mornings and then we would pivot to Girl Scouts. We'd do brownies in the morning, Girl Scouts in the afternoon. And it was amazing. And we used that as public as a as a way to get publicity. And we got publicity in every city. We launched in LA. Belinda Carlisle came to the oh, launch. Wow. It was so cool. And so, however, fast forward 15 years. Um executives understand now the buying power of female consumers. This is nothing new. Is it still something that's always relevant to almost all of our clients? Absolutely. No matter what they do, even if it is a government or municipality, they understand the decision-making power that women have in their homes and the impact they have on society and how much we rally together and how much we talk and share information. So it's always important it's just changed in how we, I guess, package it up and present it. Hmm. Well, I remember ba- back in the day, I mean, you, you and I have worked together on uh, with multiple companies, uh, multiple yeah. projects. And I remember just, you know, really taking a lot of notes as you were sharing these insights and you educated me on, hey, Bob, the, you know, the, the decision maker for most American households, the CFO of the family budget is the female. The, you know, the decision maker on all of these types of things is, is generally the, the, the female. And, uh, and you were, I think, probably not only ahead of your time, but you're at the, the, the tip of the spear, so to speak, in leading this cultural change, um, this renaissance, if you will, of helping businesses and business leaders and people you know, around the country understand the power of not only the, the female leader, the, but the, the decision maker, and specifically marketing um, you know, to that to the female demographic. I remember one of my favorite stories that you shared with me back in the day was, uh, I think it was a gun manufacturer that they're like, yeah, we are, we're going to try to reach the female market, so we're going to paint our, you know, it's uh, like what'd you call it? it was a uh, shrink it and pink it. They were going yeah, to they were they gonna, they were gonna release a pink handgun. I, I think they did. Yeah, I was like, and you and you just started laughing. It's like that is not how you would reach a female demographic. So, but you helped lead this cultural change in America in many respects, helping companies. And now it seems like you've got this insight. It's like, hey, I've done my job, and everybody now knows this. It's like, okay, now, great, this is common knowledge. And now you're pivoting. It, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like uh, now that this revolution has taken place. And that there's more awareness, you're still going to do your job on those areas, but you're now pivoting to a new area where there's maybe more opportunity. Do I did I connect those dots? Do you see a lot a lot of opportunity here in crisis communication and strategic communication? So yes, our new website is still going to be very front and center about our expertise in reaching women because it is still relevant in almost every scenario, but it's going to be a less stark and in your face. It's going to be a softer approach. And as far as crisis goes, we've always done crisis for existing clients. And actually we, we have in the past couple of years gotten clients where that was our entire scope of work. And it's not always just being in the moment of a crisis, which we certainly have been, and everything from class action lawsuits to, you know, workplace incidents, everything from suicide to sexual assault to sexual harassment. We've been uh, data, mass data breaches, customer service issues huge safety accidents that have killed people and and corporations. Um, And now we're being hired more specifically for that. And I think it's because of just the way the media works now and how instantaneous it is and how much consumer voices are heard more loudly and clearly now more than ever. So they, they need not only crisis, they need strategy for preventing crisis. And then a lot of times they need reputation restoration. Mm -hmm. So through the power of communications and developing strategic communication campaigns, we can take a company that has an F with the Better Business Bureau and say, look, we can't fix 
your communication problems until you fix your operational problems. And if we're, you're willing to partner with us hand in hand and work on operations while we work on communication, then that's a great partnership. If they're just going to not care and continue to operate the way they have, then we're not a good fit. I think a lot of companies have gone through all kinds of crises during COVID. I think that we were we spent the early days of COVID just trying to help our clients navigate what to say to their employees, to their customers, to their business partners. Um, you know, some weren't able to pay their bill. We had one client that was a longtime client. We said, "We got gotcha. you. Just don't you don't don't pay us." They didn't pay us for a year, and then all of a sudden they called back and said, "We can pay you now." I never really expected that money back, but it was the right thing to do. So. We really overworked for clients during the early, especially the early days of COVID, because nobody knew what to do, what to say, and we were just all trying to figure it out together. And it led to what I think for our team is very fulfilling, very fulfilling work when we can have an impact on public opinion. And so we have a couple of clients right now where we are tasked with measurably impacting public opinion. Wow. And that's so fun and cool. And we hope that we meet the benchmarks, but. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't wait to hear some of these stories when you're able to, to share them. But yeah, that's. Yeah. Well, that's... you know, you have to conduct market research first to know what people think before you can figure out how, what you need to move the needle. Because so many times clients will tell us what they they think their customers think or they think their publics and target audiences think. And then we'll do the market research and we'll find out that eh, not so much. There, there's actually three things that were much more important than the three things that you were concerned about. And then we can actually put together a strategy that's based on research and uh, a solid foundation that we can then benchmark against instead of just taking a while to guess, which is how it should always be done. But I'm always surprised when companies uh, balk at the price of market research. There's no more valuable data. Yeah. Hey, I guess, you know, having been on that seat or in that seat, you know, you say, oh, okay, market research. Well, oh, I, I got a, I've got a good finger on the pulse. I think I know what people people are thinking, right? And so you can want to uh, maybe save a dollar and well, assume. Expensive. Yeah. You, and so, you, and I'm just speaking from, you know, the position I was in, right? It was like, I'll, I'll save it. I think I've got my finger on the pulse of what's going on and what people think. And you, you're, you're, uh, it's easy to be uh, misled, right? And then to assume that you know what's happening when it's really not the case. And you're like, oh my goodness, I am so glad I got this market research. Um, my, my eyes are opened. I had no idea about X, Y, and Z. So it's a, it can be a very costly mistake because yeah. if you go in the wrong direction with, a, with marketing dollars, um, with no data to back it up, then you're, you're really taking an educated guess. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you know the facts, <laughs> if you really have an understanding of what the consumer wants or what the public thinks then that's powerful information. Also, this is, a, this is something that's very interesting, I think, and that is the increase in the use of proprietary data and media relations. And that's a big trend that I'm seeing in our industry. I actually write for Entrepreneur now, and I wrote an article about proprietary data, the importance and value of proprietary data in a media relations campaign. Because if you have, so for example, we have a client, Virgin Experience Gifts. They're based in the UK. They acquired a company here called Cloud9, and they're in Denver. And they hired us because of our understanding of the US market. We do things very differently here from a media relations standpoint than they do in Europe. And so um, their competitors are doing a lot of proprietary research. So we had to convince them of the value of it because they don't need it as much in Europe. Um, here, if we're able to say 75% of Californians would, would prefer an experiential gift for the holidays versus more stuff, 
then that's news. If okay. we just put it out there and say, Americans don't want more stuff, here's here's a couple sources that we can point to of other other brands proprietary research <laughs> that says that um, Americans are it, it, tired of stuff and that the younger generations coming up would much prefer an experiential gift to go to a beer tasting or take a cooking class or go, you know, bungee jump or whatever it may be. And so if you if you can turn something that's very commercial into news by having valid market research to back it up, it becomes news versus propaganda. Gotcha. You have helped uh, me on two separate occasions do a rebrand for two different companies. And I'm curious, now that you're going through a rebrand yourself, uh, is there anything that you're learning? I mean, you're an expert at it. So Hardest it, thing you can ever do. Yeah, tell me, tell me your your experience because it's you know you're not working with a client, you're working with yourself. You're rebranding, you're pivoting into a new you know some well, new territories. You, and... I wasted a year and a half trying to do it myself, and then I threw up my hands one day and I hired a firm in, out of Nashville. That that's all they do is branding. Interesting. Hold on. So the expert is hiring an expert. I want yeah. to, to tell tell me why. Is it sometimes that you, you you get so close to your own problems, or your own issues, you don't see the forest through the trees. You need a, like a an outside perspective to help you navigate some of it. Or am I, yeah. what, am I missing something? What the first thing I did is I talked to three experts that are nationally known experts. I just asked for a favor, and mm -hmm. the favor was a thirty minute call um, to ask if. They thought my brand was still relevant, on track, what they liked about it, what they, what they didn't. And then I explained some of our new, uh, some of the new ideas that I had. One is for, we are, we've completely revamped our compensation model. And I wanted to run that by some other people in the industry. I got their feedback. They're all happy to help. And they'd all heard of me, which was shocking. They're like, oh, You've been around for a while, and I'm yeah, I've been around for a while. Um, and so I realized that I just needed, like you said, you you get in your own head and you think you have the pulse on things, but creatively, you know, I'm not really a deeply creative person. I think I'm a strategic person, I think I'm creative in strategy, but when it comes to a visual vision or what we should pull out and how we should present it. We're doing lots of cool things on the new website that are, um, they're expensive. We're doing um, animated digital case studies. Um, we've got motion graphics that are going to be on the website that are expensive to produce. But I told them, I want this website to look like we could be any top agency in the world. So how can we do that? And we've worked together. Um, we're refreshing the logo. We, I went through every single question. Like, do we, um, do we not, right now our logo is Fletcher and we always call out the H-E-R in bold. And I was like, do we even do that anymore? We, so we asked a lot of questions. We met internally many times because I wanted to get the team's input. And so now we're pulling together the final um, case studies that to, to be turned into videos. And it's a, just a huge amount of work, huge well, amount of work. You don't understand if you've never been through it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been through it twice. So I, I, I know led by you. So I, I, I appreciate well, how much work. leading other people through it, just not doing it myself. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I want to call this out right now because it, it, it's a great time to maybe highlight you and your leadership. But it, it, it takes an element of humility for the expert to call in an expert and to get an outside opinion. And I think that's one of the things that I've really appreciated about you over the years is that you are you lead with conviction and you're a phenomenal leader. Uh, anytime that my daughters, you know, my daughter Tris has come up through, you know, high school and college and, you know, doing her internships over in Nashville. But when she would, you know, ask me about leaders, female leaders that she should uh, try to emulate, study, 
you know, go and ask questions of. Your name has always been at the top of that list. And it's you because told me that and it made me cry. <laughs> that's the truth. I, I, I respect you so much. And the fact that like you would, you know, as a leader, have the humility to go and seek outside counsel and other perspectives in your industry. Um, you know, it's just it's a big testament and a signal of who you are. Because um, I can imagine there's a lot of other people be like, well, I don't need to go hire somebody. I need to ask somebody. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. This is my yeah. this, this is my area of expertise. I know exactly what to do. Um, so it's one of the reasons why I tr have trusted you with so many uh, projects over the years, and you know, and uh, the, uh, the reason why I love engaging with you and your firm because I know I'm getting the best of the best. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm going to put your. I might have to put this podcast on our new website. Here's all the reasons, Iris. Um, but what I'll say, it's interesting that you use the word humility, because to me, humility is, well, it's, it's a, I don't, it's not one of the technical gifts of the spirit, but I consider it a gift of the spirit. And I consider humility a big strength. And so my mother used to tell me when I was growing up, a little humility goes a long way. And Boy, let me tell you, she told me that every day when I was Miss North Carolina going to Miss America, she'd be like, you know, don't get too big for your britches. A little humility goes a long way. And I was like, I know, mom, I got it. Mm -hmm. So now we have, um, I have what everybody jokingly calls uh, Kellyisms, and one of them is a little humility goes a long way. That's awesome. Well, I've, I've, I've experienced it. So tell me, you know, how oh, with everything that's going on, how are you continuing to grow and develop your skill sets uh, as a, a CEO, as a leader, as an industry icon? I, mean, I remember getting a phone call from you. You were in London and you had just had a you know phenomenal business meeting and you were giving me a quick update on you know some new data that you thought that I might be interested in. You're like, hey, when we, I get back to the States, let's connect. I want to you know connect you with someone over here that I met. And you're always on the go. And you're always learning and growing. And you know, so what are some of the things that you're doing right now to continue to develop yourself as a, a, a leader within your industry and space? Well, um, I really struggled a lot during COVID. Just emotionally and mentally. Um, and I'm not, well, first of all, because I wasn't sure how much money we were going to lose. <laughs> and I was trying to be true to do unto others as you would have them do unto you and keep everybody on full time. Mm -hmm. And, and I did to my own financial detriment. And then as soon as things started to get busy and I had the talk of, okay, everybody's got to like give 120%, um, you know, two people resigned. And I really realized in that moment that I have to realize that we're not a family. We we're a team. And at the end of the day, it really is a job for most people. Do they respect me? Yes, absolutely. Are most of them loyal that, uh, to me? Absolutely. Or to our company, to our culture? Yes. But it's not their company. So I really, really struggled with that. I mean, I was clinically depressed. I was not clinically depressed when I left Knoxville and moved to Florida because my son, who had come home from Florida State um, because they sent all the kids home, and it was that towards the end of his junior year, I'm working from home, I'm sitting on the couch with my laptop, and one day he comes in and says, Mom, you always said you were going to do something different and go somewhere else and just try it out when I graduated high school and you're still sitting here and I don't think you're all that happy. And by the way, I'm never coming back to Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was like, he's right. In the meantime, I talked to my banker and um, he said, he probably shouldn't have given me this advice because it's way too personal. If I'd have kept the house, I could have sold it for another three, $400,000. But he goes, I'd cash out on my house. <laughs> so I cashed out on my house thinking I was getting like prime money. Mm. I just put that money aside. And I was like, where am I going to go? Well, I think I'll just go to the beach because if the world's going to come to an end, I can just walk across the street to the Gulf of Mexico and, you know, be able to get outside. And everybody came to visit me and it was fun. And then everybody stops coming to visit. And then you're just, I bought a house and then was not the level of, uh, 
lap of luxury house. It was a very basic house. Um, and I had to get over myself because one day God really clearly said to me, I've given you everything you've ever asked for. And you're pissed off right now because you had to leave your home on Cherokee Boulevard and Sequoia Hills and cash out and move into an everyday starter home. And that is ego and it is bad. And I've given you everything and you just spit in my face for all the gifts that I've given you. And I was like, oh, I heard that. I got it. I heard it. And I got out of my little pity party and I hired a performance coach instead of a business coach. Cause I've had a business coach for many years. I felt like I needed a mindset coach. And so I hired this coach out of Houston, Texas, that a friend of mine recommended, and she works with executives and athletes and high achievers on mindset. And so she said, you have to, and she's so cool. She's only in her thirties and she just is, she is amazing. She's got her PhD. She's just amazing. Her name is Dr. Trillian, um, Dr. Trillian Small. And she made me set one goal, which I'm still working on. And my one goal was I want to double the size of the company in one year. It's a very BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. That's right. Um, and, you know, doubling the size of the company after the business that what we went through during COVID at the time I set that goal wasn't doubling the size of it, what it was at its peak. It was doubling the size of, you know, how we'd gone backwards at, at one point, 38% in revenue down. So in our industry, a 20% margin is healthy. So at 38%, guess who's making no money? Me, literally. <laughs> so um, it was, yeah, it was an eye-opening process. My son ended up moving back to Knoxville after he swore he never was going to. And then I had to decide, what am I going to do now? Do I just chase a 23-year-old around while he decides what he's going to do with his life? Luckily, I didn't because now he's got a promotion is moving to Memphis. Um, but I bought a second house um, and I kept the first one as a rental because I want to do real estate as investment um, instead of the market. And so um, as soon as I get enough money, I'm going to buy another one and just hopefully um, recoup some of the money that I lost during COVID on real estate and just keep working on my goals to get the company into a position that hopefully somebody wants to acquire us or my employees want to take it over. So you made a pretty big leap and it sounds like your son was the, had a comment that struck you or at least motivated you to change your, maybe the way you were thinking about life or your position. You're like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I was then, looking for permission. Looking for permission. Yeah. And that's what you needed. I didn't to, know it, it, but I was looking for permission. Um, I you loved, needed someone to give Tennessee. you permission. I will always have a presence in Knoxville. That's where I want to buy my next place um, and Airbnb it. So I'll have a place when I come. I, I was renting for a while and had a rental in downtown. And I was like, why am I paying all this money? Because it's just, it's not necessary. When I have friends who love when I stay there and I love staying with them and I get to reconnect with them and see, you know, continue to um, hang out with my friends versus going back to a condo where it's, you know, it's just me. You're more likely to do that. You're like, oh, I'm tired. Let's go back to my condo. Now I go back to my friend's house and they make me dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Or I make the dinner. <laughs> so so you you knew, is, is this a correct assumption on my part that you knew what you wanted to do and you said you were looking for permission is another way of looking at it. You were looking for validation that that was safe or okay or that it was okay to make that leap. You're I wanted to move. I wanted okay. to move. I mean, I've always, I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone. I wanted to try going to a new place. And I thought about a lot of different places. It's interesting when you have a lot of choices, it's really, really hard to choose. 
Um, I thought about going to New York. Thank goodness I get, didn't because I would have been really isolated and holed up during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, I thought about going back to Atlanta and and I always, the beach has always been where I find peace and I find God. And, but I only knew one person when I moved here. So I I realized that if I was going to find my tribe, I was going to have to put myself out there. So I started looking for Facebook groups and going to some, you know, groups of women would get together. And then I helped found um, Tuesday Club at Sewall House, which is, Sewall House is a really interesting place. I equate it to like a modern day salon where it's a place for creatives and entrepreneurs and artists and musicians and, you know, writers um, to, to get together and hang out. Um, it's in Rosemary Beach. It's an absolutely beautiful space. And I was invited to go to an event there one night and I went and I was like, what is this place anyway? I, I don't know what this place is. And so I said, who owns it? And I walk up to the guy who owns it and we end up like becoming fast friends. And we bonded over our podcast, love of podcasting and um, our, you know, struggles with panic attacks, you, you name it. And all of a sudden he says, let me show you my podcast studio. And on the door was a reproduction of that painting of the monkey that says, follow your dreams. And so it looked like a painting. And then you open this door and there is like a Joe Rogan quality podcast studio in there with the top of the line equipment. And I was like, I knew that was my sign that I was in the right place. I also knew uh, I was in the right place when a couple of my employees came down to visit me. And as a hostess gift, they got me this candle that said, this place God circled for a map. This place you are right now, God circled for on a map for you. Oh. And I was like, wow, that's, so I don't know if it's forever, just a season. And wow, am I not um, lucky and blessed to be able to say that, that not many people go out and create their own reality and can just pick up and say, I'm going to this beautiful, absolutely beautiful, magnificent place where, you know, you see God's handiwork. You see it in the in the Smoky Mountains too, and plenty of other places. Um, but it is really just a phenomenal place to live. So back to the uh, Tuesday Club story. I said, Dave, he said, we have this group of this men's group. And, you know, you have to pay to join because I have to cover the cost of the space. But it's not um, that it's not a retail space. Just not anybody can go there. You have to be invited. And he purposely curates a list. So he invites people from every walk of life. It might be a server or a bartender or a guy who put out your beach chair. I mean, he keeps this list and he invites all kinds of people. So it's not just the people who can afford to be in the room. And so he, I said, I want to start a women's group. And so his wife and I and three other women started Tuesday Club at Sewell House. And it's a group of 40 women. And we get together once a month and we have some curated event. But then we do other like pop-up things. And I'm having a bunch of them over for dinner next week. And it's just become this really grounding um, support system for me here. But it didn't just happen. I had to go out and try to create it. It's interesting. Had to actually make the leap and make the effort, go out there, start connecting some of the dots. And your son helped start it by giving you permission as the, the the word you used. And then you received a lot of validation when you got down to Florida by what you saw, what you found, what you created, and what your staff and employees were able to to give you, validated the move. I wanna, I'd love to hear um, your thought process on the coach. I mean, I, I've known you for a long time, and I, I've known that you've had a business coach. We've had uh, conversations even in the stairwell at our old office building where you were, you know, uh, the office above me, and uh, you talk about you know your, your the, the great coaching that you were receiving, and you, you'd share with me some things, and I would take notes on what you were learning, and and now you went you went out again and found a different coach, a performance coach. Why is why is coaching and I would even call the word mentorship so important for you in your career? I mean, you're 
you're seeking out good coaches, good mentors to help you. I'm sure there's going to be some young people who are listening to this, my, my daughter being one of them. Um, why is that so important? Well, every great professional has a coach. I mean, you know, think of some of the world's most elite athletes, um, musicians, business people. And maybe it's not a paid coach. Maybe it's a mentor. There are plenty of mentorship programs out there in Knoxville. The Knoxville Chamber has a great one called Propel. I actually went through Propel. Um, and it is you get a mentor and then you eventually become a mentor. And so what was the question again? Why, 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 why have you found in your career mentorship and coaching to be so valuable? I mean, you've sought them out multiple times. And it's yeah. you know, if you didn't find value in it, you'd be like, oh, I'm done. But you continue to seek out wise counsel and mentors, and it's having an impact. I'm watching your business grow. You're pivoting. You're doing amazing things. So there's, there's obviously a connection there, I believe. Yeah. Well, I value um, – I just value – coaching, I value uh, someone who is going to ask me the hard questions and it and give me a roadmap. Like there's homework you have to do. There's homework with business coaching. There's homework with mindset coaching. So it's about personal development. And if you if you're willing to put in the time and it is not always easy. And it is sometimes a very painful process to go through because you you end up being, well, with mindset coaching, you kind of end up facing down your demons because you have to be honest about what your mindset is. And you have to be willing to work on it, right? Because what we think about we have control over our thoughts and our thoughts become actions and our actions become progress. And so I just, it, to me, it's a no brainer to have a mentor or a coach. As a matter of fact, I offered, um, I'm getting my son business coaching for Christmas because he got his first promotion and he's moving to Memphis and he's going to be in charge of people older than him. And he's very concerned about that. And he's been talking about, you know, how he needs to learn leadership skills. And I said, you know, you do. And you need to learn it from not only inside your organization, but outside your organization. Because the company he works for have, works for has a very bro culture. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, you can become a great leader without having to be a jerk. Yeah. So the culture that you tell me about is a bro culture that kind of leans towards, oh, to be a great leader in this company, I got to kind of be a little bit of a jerk because we're all guys here and that whole, you know, uh, BS scenario. So that's how much I value it. And but I said before, I pay all this money for you to have like 10 sessions. I'll pay for the first 10 you need to meet with my business coach and make sure it's something that you are committed to and you want to do and you have to set goals together. But this is how I wish I would have learned it a lot young at a younger age. I wish that I would have embraced coaching at a much younger age. Well, it's so smart. And uh, it's something I, again, respect about you. Almost every single conversation that you and I ever have, you and your coach there's something you're learning from your coach almost always comes up in one of those conversations. It just yeah. it, it strikes me at you're a person who's a lifelong learner. You're always looking to be able to add new skill sets. Um, struck me here just a second ago. You talked about mindset and changing mindset. And earlier in our conversation, as I'm sitting here, we're recording this over Zoom, and I'm I'm watching your your body language. And as you were recounting some of the early phases of COVID, and you mentioned that you were in a, you know some dark places and some depression. And one of the, the story that you brought up was the fact that you had gone all in with your employees and doing yeah. everything you possibly could to do right by them. And to the point where you're not taking pay and you know all those various things, you're, the weight of the world is on your shoulders as a leader, as a business uh, woman and entrepreneur. And then 
when you think that they're going to have your back, they don't. And two people yeah. quit and like literally taking care of them and then they quit and resign on you. like, hold on a second, I'm all in on this. And then you kind of quit and resign on me. And, it, and I was watching the body language there and um, I was kind of like, and I know how that feels. And I would imagine you had a conversation with your coach about that to maybe change your mindset or to get over it or to move on. What, what, I want to go back and just maybe double click on that a little bit. And just what did you learn? Because you, your your comment was, he was like, I thought we were a family, but you know what? We're really not. We're a business. And that that moment in time, I could see that it impacted you. It was something that was was tough for you. And I'm assuming that you've learned some things through that and you're coming out stronger with a new mindset. And so I, I would like to learn from you specifically on that, because I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs who have probably navigated that exact same challenge over the last couple yeah. of years. Well, I think it's really hard when you have to come to the terms with what we've always been told, which is people quit bosses, not companies. Mm-hmm. So, and that just popped into my head because at first I was hurt and angry. And then I realized, okay, well, let me take a look at culture. And because we had gone remote, I, I, all of us were struggling with um, how to maintain culture in a remote environment. So I decided to pivot to a culture first um, mindset with the expanded team that we have now. But when you only have about 10 people and two of them quit, that's 20% of your workforce in one day, right? So um, I realized that if we're gonna continue to work remote hybrid model, that we now have to be very intentional about culture because the water cooler conversations aren't happening, the energy that you get and the bond that you create with people that you sit near every day. And there's this, you know, there's this visceral exchange of energy that happens between people just by being in the same room. And you don't have that, then you have to figure out, well, how are we going to try to get it or keep it? And so we are, we have some, I hired somebody and I now call her our chief culture officer. That wasn't what she was hired to do. She was hired to be a director of operations. And I've known her for years because she was at Project Grad and I was on their board. And um, she has kind of taken the lead on culture and we track like what we're doing. Like we track how many times we get together in person Um, They're intentional about once a week getting together and working together. They're intentional about once a month going out to lunch together or happy hour or whatever, whether I'm there or not. And then when I'm there, it's just more like we're all we try to be in person as much as possible when I'm there. And then there are other things, too, like just I'm really proud of the fact that I intentionally have created a culture that is friendly to moms mm. and that you can still be a mom and work for our company. You know, you can still go on maternity leave. Man, it's painful because when somebody's out for three months, that it's the rest of us have to have her back. Yeah. And so we've created a, I think we've created a culture because our chief culture officer, Angie Hempstead, did this really, I thought, just beautiful thing for Thanksgiving is she sent out a form to everybody and you had to write what you were most grateful for about every person on our team and then what you're most grateful for about your job in the company. And literally, I wept when I read them. I was like, if I don't accomplish anything else, if they told the truth on here, but they were anonymous responses, Mm -hmm. if everybody really spoke from their heart, then I have done my job as a creator of a culture where women and moms can thrive because I didn't have those kinds of opportunities and where everybody is generally, genuinely happy and uh to work there but let me just tell you that did not happen by accident it was a very intentional and sometimes angie will tell you i get annoyed she's like i'm not sure if i should ask you about this because you're going to get annoyed and then i go into my whole speech about how nobody understands what it's like to have the burden of payroll and the burden of the bills and you know (laughs) 
she knows that it's just a conversation that I have to just vent. Yeah. Um, and then we come up with whatever the solution is going to be. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to get your notebook on how you are intentionally designing remote workplace culture. Because I think maybe I should write a book about that. I've I think been wanting you to write a book. <laughs> or a blog post or something. I think that would be. Uh, something that there's so many businesses that I know now that are moving into this, you know, mobile, geographically separated, remote, uh, not only Salesforce, uh, i.e., that's you know yeah. part part of my business, but also uh, the home office staff, re- remote culture, and and I'm trying to navigate that myself now with team geographically separated all over the, uh, the country. So I'd I'd love to continue to learn from you and insights you have as you in intentionally designing a new workplace environment. That's what they say is going on right now. I mean, COVID was an inflection point where the this old work structure that we had. had for generations has kind of been blown up and we're I think we're oscillating back and forth right now I don't think know exactly where we're going to land but it's going to be different admittedly it is going to be different and I I like what I'm hearing from you and how you're leading in the midst of this inflection point well I think everybody can have a better quality of life and work-life balance by working remotely And, and not all employees are created equal and I think the biggest challenge with remote work culture is with entry-level staff because it's harder for them to soak up and learn when they're not in the same room with other people. They're not just getting the little, here's a tip, there's a tip. So we have to be more intentional to make sure that those employees get the extra attention. But I have the luxury of just only hiring high-level people. And we pivoted to, we only hire grad student interns and they have to, and they come to me recommended by professors at the University of Tennessee, because I've built relationships with all of them over the years. And they say that Fletcher is everybody's favorite place to intern because they get to do real work and they get paid well and everybody has fun. And so whenever we need one, I'll just send off a few emails and say, I need a, a grad, a rock star grad student intern. And we have two right now and they're, they're both incredible, but not every business has the luxury of being able to hire people at a higher level that are already, have already proven to be responsible. And, you know, if you're in grad school and you're that motivated to have a job and be in grad school, then okay, you're, you're probably going to be a decent fit for us. You've already checked a whole bunch of boxes and You've already checked a whole bunch yeah. of boxes. Although I will tell you a funny story. So they had a dirty Santa lunch yesterday and our grad student Grant didn't know what it was. So he brought like a tin of cookies, but he didn't wrap it. <laughs> so, you know, the dirty Santa exchanges, you bring a wrapped gift and everybody draws a number and you keep swapping gifts and you don't really know what's in it, you know, and you're like rattling it and you're trying to decide what shape you like and what your final pick is and you steal gifts from each other. And he brings like a tin of cookies. And I was like, man, that was a generational culture failure. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. We just assumed he knew what it, what that game was. <laughs> Yeah, as I'm getting older, I'm finding more and more of my references and things that I assume everybody knows. And, and then, you know, like a young person doesn't pick it up or connect the dots. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah that's that. They don't they don't they don't know that Seinfeld figure of speech or. <laughs> oh, yeah. I say some things to Fletcher and he goes, what did you just say? It's Fletcher's my son. Um, I made it, He's named for my maiden name. And then I check my maiden name back in case you don't know me and you're listening to this podcast. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll pull out some like, you know, there's a, my mom used to always say when it was raining, when the sun was out, uh, the devil's beating his wife. And so, you know, Fletcher was little and I'd be like, we'd be driving down the road and start raining, but the sun would be out. And I'd be like, oh, devil's beating his wife. And he'd be like, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> Well, 
I, I could chat with you for another hour. I've got so many questions just on, you know, little rabbit trails I could go down based on the conversation that we've had right now. But I know you've got an, an appointment coming up here in a couple minutes, and I promised you I'd get you out uh, on time. I appreciate your your time. Uh, man, I want to have you back on the podcast much sooner than we uh, this, this last go around. We had a, uh, a year or so between your episodes, and we will make sure that uh, you're back here uh, much sooner. But two final Final questions for you. I love asking guests uh, what are their favorite books that they're reading right now. So, do you have any any books or any anything that you're currently consuming that you find interesting that's helping you in your career? Well, I, actually, I have to tell you, I'm not reading one single business book right now. Wow! And sure. here's why: because I'm t- I took a break from reading business books because in my performance coaching. We had some discussion one day about how the fact that I never read fiction because I felt guilty if I was reading fiction because I should be reading a business book or something nonfiction where I was learning instead of imagining and kind of fueling the imagination. And so she was like, that is really messed up. She's like, that is messed up that you do not allow yourself the pleasure of reading fiction. So I've been reading fiction for the past couple months. And I love historical fiction because I feel like I'm still learning something because there's a historical element to it. But I'll pick the business books back up. I have a stack (laughs) that I haven't gotten to yet because I purposely decided uh, to give myself a break from that and to read things that maybe um, fuel the imagination. That's fantastic. And I, I wasn't assuming that you were reading a business book. I just I figured that you were a reader. I mean, I know you well enough to know that you're a reader. So it's exciting. I'm reading the, the Secrets of the Savoy Hotel. <laughs> All right. It's, uh, you know, the Savoy, the historic hotel that's been yeah. there since the 1800s in London. And I've um, had the pleasure of going there for um, high tea. And I've also been to their theater a couple times because, you know, I'm a theater junkie. And so I saw this book and it was like the secrets behind life at the Savoy Hotel. And I was like, "Ooh, that's what. So it's, you know, it's loosely based on real stories that happened um, throughout the, over the past hundred years of that storied hotel. It's, it's really interesting. Oh, that sounds awesome. I love history and especially old historic places in England and London. And so yeah, let me know. Let me know how it goes. I'm going to have to pick that up and check it out. All right, final question. Make sure to get you to your next appointment on time. But final question, with everything that's going on uh, in the world today, I've asked this of a number of people, if you had the ability to give a State of the Union address to the American people, what would you say? What were it, words of encouragement, words of inspiration, admonition? Well, definitely not admonition, right? We know no one responds to that. It just sounds so, it sounds so cliche, but what I wish would happen in our country is for, somebody said this, this is not an original quote, I can't remember who said, um, it's amazing what happens when nobody cares who gets the credit. And I feel like if our politicians would operate from that posture, and it's not even their fault so much. It's a culture that we collectively have created. You know, they did. I think that uh, political figures and the media get uh, roasted when, in fact, our entire culture has created the environment that we live in. No one group of people is responsible for it. We all are. And so, if collectively. We would acknowledge that, but that takes a lot of self-awareness. And you know what? Self-awareness is not something that our culture is very big on. That's well said. Yeah, so. I, I think there has to be an entire cultural shift in energy in our country and love. There has to be more love. I don't see it happening. Um you know, my mom would say, well, read Revelations again, and you'll understand why. But I don't see it happening. Maybe uh, generations before us have thought the same thing. So I think all we can do is just focus on 
our sphere of influence as I think that's a Stephen Covey thing, sphere mm-hmm. of influence, sphere of control. So, you know, our sphere of control is so small. So if we just focus on our sphere of control, man, like you are going to drive yourself crazy. So you have to look at the bigger picture and think, what can I influence? Who can I influence? Because if we all looked at it that way and we're mindful about it, we could make cultural shifts that would impact the future of our country and our world. But you you have to be willing to help other people. You have to be willing to mentor people. You have to be willing to do the hard work of becoming a good person. You know, it's hard to just be a good person in everyday life. It is hard. There are times I just want to smack somebody up against the side of the head. And there are times I just want to tell somebody exactly what I think about them. And then I'm like, hold on. Like that is not, that is not the energy that I want to put out into the world because it is a thing. The energy that we put out into the world is a thing. And if it's not a spirit of love, then it is harmful to everybody, to all living things. Well, that is very well said, Miss Kelly Fletcher. Well, I didn't even get that question ahead of time. So no, actually none of this was rehearsed. So it really wasn't. It's funny because I, I sent you over a list of like maybe 10 questions of things that I won't maybe wanted to discuss with you. And we've talked around, uh, it just, we've gone, it's just been a natural conversation. It's just kind of flowed and, you uh, but I, I love the honesty and transparency of your answers. And uh, my State of the Union address after having spent an hour with you would be very simple. Get to know Kelly Fletcher and be like her. Oh, well, my if gosh. If everybody. Well, my family would probably uh, disagree. And so funny. Um, I, this, is just a, this is just a side story. But I think I actually think it's kind of funny. So I, I have a blankie. You probably know. Like. I have a blankie, like a Linus blankie. I've had one my whole life. They eventually dry rot and I have to order another one specifically from Amazon because it has to be a specific kind of waffle blanket with this silky saw. Don't worry. I asked my doctor, I asked my therapist years ago. They said, there's nothing about it. It's a transitional object that's for some reason you felt you needed to hold on to as long as it's not damaging you psychologically or in any way, keep your blankie. So I've kept my blankie. So we go out to watch the Georgia LSU SEC championship last week with a group of friends. And this guy who I'd never met showed up that I met online because I'm, you know, how else do you meet people at this day and age? And I've been single for a long time. It'd be great to meet somebody. This is an ad for me. Like if you're listening and you're single. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know we were going down this. We are about ready to land the plane, Miss Kelly Fletcher. And you've opened up a new chapter. Well done. I love it. You go take as much time as you want. With a funny story. So he comes and he meets our group of friends and, you know, we leave, you know, we're getting ready to leave. And he goes, well, I'll drive you home. So I said, okay. So I said, wait a minute first. I've got to get my blankie out of the car. And my friend Lynn is going, oh my gosh, you didn't just say that you have to get your blankie out of the car. And so I got my blankie. He brought me home. Haven't heard from him again. And Lynn goes, I knew you weren't going to hear from him again whenever you said you had to get your blankie out of the car. And she goes, you were a little bit rowdy. She And I said, really, was I? I was like, I just, you know, I get rowdy when I'm watching football. I love, I love football. And she goes, you were unabashedly yourself. And I thought, then that's fine. If I never hear from him again, because I was unabashedly myself and I have a blankie, then that's fine. That's it. <laughs> Most important thing is to be you, right? Yeah. You. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm a lot for some people, um, but I've kind of come to terms with that. I and mean, it's who God made me. My mom always said that I was a lot. Uh, whatever a lot means. So I'll take being a lot over being boring any day. In my book, you being a lot is good. And And to circle back to your comments to the American people, the American people need to get to know you, get to be like you, be intentional, hire a coach, hire a mentor, figure out your sphere of control and your sphere of influence, work to make the world a better place, bring love and joy and excitement and squeeze the best out of life every single day. That's what Kelly Fletcher does. That's what I know about you. I love that about you. I was lucky uh, to grow up in um, a world that made that possible. 
it's not all unicorns and rainbows. I can't imagine the people who just struggle to put food on their table for their families. Um, you know, they have completely different worries for me. So I think that we need to be mindful of that and really pray for those people, especially as we go through um, inflation. And mm. and it's not just young families. I mean, it's our seniors who are on mm. fixed incomes who now have can't even buy all their just normal groceries. And so I think about that and I think about, wow, we're we're so blessed to even have this conversation about self-awareness when some people are just trying to survive on a daily basis. So true. Well, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. Thank you for your time, your your insight this afternoon. And I'm going to let you go to make sure you're at your next appointment. And uh, so I can honor my commitment to you to keep you on time and on schedule because you are a busy woman, a leader, and I'm uh, definitely cheering on your company and your pivot and all the great things that you're doing. So, Kelly, uh, thank you so much. I love having you as a friend. And che- thank I'm cheering you. you I love having you as a friend, too. Um, I've learned a lot from you. I mean, uh, over the years, it's been a great reciprocal friendship because we support each other. I mean, there have been times when I've texted you and said, I'm really having a hard time. Give me a verse. (laughs) Give me a verse. Give me something like I'm having, I'm struggling with anxiety and, you know, you'll send me something. And I think that, and, uh, you know, I know your whole family now, and that is a, a beautiful gift. So thank you. Thank you so much. Happy holidays, my friend. You too. Thank you. Today's episode was engineered by Mitch White with graphic and marketing by Tristan Dickey. Special thanks to our guest, Kelly Fletcher, for taking time to be with us. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like the show, please share it with a friend and give us a review. That's always appreciated. Thank you for spending time with us today, and we'll be back next week with more.